Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, uh, I am back. I am rested. I am ready. little vacation. It was uh, quite a whirlwind. Started in Kansas City with Taylor Swift. Went to Cancun, Mexico with the wife and her two and her two daughters. And uh, now I'm back, rested, ready to talk some OSU. How does Taylor Swift do it? The energy, the videos that come out of her concerts, uh, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how she's doing this, what, like three nights every weekend, every other weekend, selling out stadiums? It's pretty impressive. I I literally don't know how she does it. And and I'll, full, full disclosure here, I'm not like technically a Swifty, but I distinctly remember uh, when the 1989 album came out. And I was like, I'll dip my toe in the water here. I liked it. I liked the song Bad Blood before it became a big hit. So I know enough about T-Swift to be dangerous. And my two stepdaughters, every time I'm in the car, they want to hear Taylor Swift. So I'm I'm pretty well versed going into this. And I knew she played a long time, Colby. But the night we went was Friday night in Kansas City. She, apparently, she had just released a new album, uh, another Taylor's version. And so they had like the dude from Twilight was out there doing flips on the stage because he was in her new music video that she showed up on the big screen. But she played literally Colby for four hours. And it started just before eight and she was still going at midnight. And I was like, we got to we got to go. It's it's late. We timed it perfect. Got out of there with just like one or two songs left. But we could hear it outside the stadium. And uh, we stayed the night in Overland Park and then drove back the next day. But it it was Probably the best concert I've ever been to, Colby. Now, we we kind of won the tickets. Uh, they weren't very expensive. We were like literally the last row <laughs> at Arrowhead. So it's not like I was in it. not like I was stage side, you know. But just the sheer entertainment value and how many songs she plays is one of the best conferences, uh, uh, concerts I've ever seen. Yeah, and as far as stadiums to sit with your back against the wall, Arrowhead's not the worst. I've sat with my back against the wall in Arrowhead. Oh, it's roomy up there. Yeah, it, it's not bad. I, I, My wife and I were in the last row when we went to watch uh, the year Tom Brady and, and Gronk beat Mahomes and Kelsey. When, when Mahomes and Kelsey were just coming up, I think it was Mahomes' first year as a starter. I remember you going to that game, yeah. D Ford was offsides. It was negative 15 degrees. Yeah, we, we our backs were against the wall. Arrowhead's a good stadium uh, for that. And, yeah, that show looked awesome. And glad you had fun in Mexico. Didn't didn't miss too much. Big 12 media days were last week. Gundy had some thoughts. But all in all, uh, July is is definitely vacation season. Yeah, for sure. And again, I've I've been to a lot of concerts, and the thing that sticks with me, Colby, is the sheer just you know you go to concerts, Colby. It's usually an eclectic mix of people, and it's not everyone's on the same page. Like the girl to guy ratio was probably like fifteen to one, and they're all young girls, and it was just is a great vibe. Like everyone was happy. Everyone was polite. There was very little security, which kind of, I was kind of raising my eyebrows when we walked in and versus in walking around the statements like, Oh, th- this is what it's like when you have to, you know, shepherd 75,000 women. You don't need as much security because they're so polite and having a great time. Everyone was in a good mood. It was awesome. I can't recommend it enough. They're hard to get, but if you're able to go, I would recommend it. Cause it was, 
again, I, I'd put it up there with some of the better concerts I've seen. She was she was incredible. Yeah, I love it. I'm not. Uh, I don't know much of her new stuff. I know kind of her her hits that you hear whenever you're just out places. Uh, that being said, even not really knowing her music, I think it'd be a cool experience to go because apparently it is just the greatest concert in, of the modern era. So it would be a lot of fun, but I don't know that I'm ever going to uh, dish out the the shillings that it would take for my wife and I to go see T Swift. Yeah, we I mean again we we didn't pay top dollar, believe me. Um, Mexico was great. Uh, first time going to an all inclusive with. Uh, two little ones, which was fun. They thought it was really cool that you could just order as many, you know, virgin pina coladas as their little hearts desired. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it was good to just kind of unplug. Uh, I didn't miss not being at Big 12 Media Days. They've, Colby, they've changed so much since when I, my first year in television at KFOR back in 2008, my first Media Days, I drove to Kansas City, ironically, full, full circle. Uh, the Media Days used to be up there. And I'm walking in there, and boom, there goes Sam Bradford. He walks by. Colt McCoy, Chase Daniel, Todd Reesing, Zach Robinson. I mean, it used to be a star-studded event, and it used to be a really big deal back then. And I just think over time, Colby, this media's grown so much to where they're not as needed, obviously. But but more than that, I think teams stopped making it a big deal when they just decided to quit bringing quarterbacks. You know, not every team brings one. Every quarterback is like the head coach you have to bring your quarterback and i think that takes a lot away from it but i was curious to uh listen to your podcast you did it was very entertaining but before we get into all that colby you were on a trip too right didn't you say you went to tahoe yeah i was at lake tahoe last week for the american century championship hanging out with the celebrities pardon my my email here but uh yeah it was a good trip first time to lake tahoe you ever been out there I've never been there, but that's that's one I've got circled just because it's so unique in a different part of the country. Oh man, it is beautiful. You you just you're driving, and then all of a sudden the lake just opens up, snow capped mountains right off the back. It's just the the setting was unbelievable. Um, the guys I was there with, I, I produce a podcast. I'm not on air, but I produce a podcast for NBC called Beyond the Fairway, and the two hosts of, of that show, uh, Will Lowry and Doug Smith, are their names. They've been going to this for a while, and they knew everybody. So, like, first <laughs> day, we're standing there. They introduced me to Ray Allen. We're standing there, and it, it was just Ray, his buddy, and the four of us standing on the range. We stood there and talked to Ray for, like, half an hour. Um, the most insightful conversation I had all week was probably with Peter Jacobson, longtime PGA Tour pro who's now, oh, on, yeah. The, yeah, now on a lot of the broadcasts for NBC. Uh, man, we stood there for 20, 30 minutes talked about the golf swing, swing mechanics, course design. Uh, and then he shared a lot of things that he knows about the live PGA tour stuff, things that I certainly cannot repeat, but um, yeah. And then I just got introduced to a lot of other celebrities that I didn't talk to just kind of, Hey, this is, this is Colby's our producer. This is Jerry Rice, you know? Um, wow. So it was That's pretty was, cool. Yeah. And then uh, hanging out in the casino at night, the amounts of money that you oh, see on Lord. the in the high roller room. Um, we sort of snuck into the high roller room that last night we were there and there was, there were multiple celebrities in there that had at least half a million dollars on the table. Man. Yeah. Those are, those aren't your just kind of pseudo celebrities. Those are like really, really, really rich celebrities throwing money, ex athletes that made, you know, $300 million. Oh yeah. Charles Barkley. Yeah. Charles oh. Bar Oof. Was he there? Uh, Charles Barkley was there. Yeah, we were we were standing oh my in the gosh. 
think it was Wednesday night and Barkley was at a table to our left and Romo was at a table to our right. And we were just kind of watching, uh, that thousand dollar, $5,000 and $10,000 chips. So we were Ooh. just watching, they were just playing a little casual blackjack. You know, I, I met Charles at the NBA playoffs when the Thunder were playing the Spurs, one of those years, one of the early years, uh, in the Western Conference Finals, couldn't have been a nicer guy, like complete gentleman. Uh, you know, he's, you know, gregarious from being on TV, but really was like one of the nicest people you could ever come across. So that, that reminds me of, of my, one of my few celebrity sightings, but man, I know you're going to be rubbing elbows with celebrities while I was gone. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. Charles was, was nice. He was chopping it up with people. I saw Brian Baumgartner, uh, my fellow office nerds. He plays Kevin on the office. That was probably the biggest. Celebrity oh, wow. Yeah. That was, that was a big one for me as an office fan. So now did uh, you, you got to play it cool, right? You can't, you'd probably like a picture with some of these folks, but like, you're also with, with those guys that you mentioned that knew all these guys, so you don't want to embarrass them. How, how'd you play? You just played it too cool for school or just like you're an ordinary guy. Uh, I just tried to play it like I was one of the group. So never yep. asked for a picture, never asked for an autograph, never told anybody I was a fan. Um, you know, just these are my guys. I'm their producer. I'm just part of the group. And uh, so, yeah, we're hanging out, having a group conversation or just hanging out, kind of observing. Uh, that was pretty much what it was. I, I was really annoyed on Monday, the day I flew out. And actually, let's save that for my BB. I'm going to save that for the end okay. of the show. So we can move on. Well, that works. Well, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Seasons are rapidly approaching. I see OSU Athletics has put out some of the coaches' polos they're going to be wearing this year on the sidelines. You're going to want the most up-to-date OSU gear this football season, no doubt about it. Head over to Chris's uh, if you're in Stillwater. Um, Colby, great job on the podcast. You filled in for me. I really appreciate you doing that. You covered a lot of topics, a lot of pertinent topics involving Big 12 Media Days, and that's kind of where I wanted to start. And uh, I thought you hit the nail on the head. Like you and I have talked about this for for so long now about Bedlam. And we, of course, you know, one of the big talking points was OU in Texas this is their final Big 12 Media Days uh, appearance. And of, so, of course, Mike Gunning's going to get asked about it. And I'm with you. Like, yeah, we're critical of Mike Gundy when it when it calls for it. But him from the from the top down, from the administration that we've heard from, from, from Chad and, and Casey Shrum, Chad Weiberg and Casey Shrum, all the way trickle down to Mike Gundy. They've been on the same page. And I hope if he's asked about it, he just says this sentence again. This is all he needs to say, Colby. Just one sentence that he said at Media Days stuck with me. They need to put it on a, a sign and just flash it anytime he's asked. Quote, Oklahoma State is not going to change what we do because Oklahoma chose to go to the SEC. Done. Finished. Kaput. Like nothing else to say. And because Colby, I think oftentimes when, when we debate stuff in sports or we're debating our, our buddies from OU that are trying to say that OSU scared, like we try to give all this and, and we do this on the podcast. I try to talk about, you know, how this is a business and if a business partner did this to you, you wouldn't do business with it. All of this minutia and talk and analogies boils down to that. Oklahoma State is not going to change what they do because Oklahoma chose to go to the SEC. And I loved how you pointed out the differences in, in total number of conference games between nine and eight between Big 12 and SEC, which no one ever talks about when they're discussing the strength of the SEC. But Colby, that I read that on my phone and I just did a slight little like fist pump. Like, yes, Mike, perfect. Bravo. Standing ovation. Yeah, I, I loved what Mike Gundy had to say. It was 
that's where Mike Gundy shines, right? Mike Gundy shines in that moment with the microphone in front of him whenever he is saying the thing that he knows a good chunk of his fan base is thinking. I think that there is a, a portion of the Oklahoma State fan base who wishes that that game was going to stick around. Um, and, and I think that that's mostly birthed from nostalgia. And I get it. Like, that game's been around for a long time. Uh, you remember the Rashawn was open game. We remember 2021, 2011, like th- those highest of the highs that come with Bedlam. And, you know, sometimes you can forget the eight out of 10 lowest of the lows that you have to deal with year after year. But for him to just come out and just very bluntly state, like, this wasn't us. We didn't, we're just hanging out. We're doing our thing. We're in Stillwater. We get a notification on our phone. Oh, you in Texas are gone. Everybody else, you are bleeped. Figure it out for yourself. And Oklahoma State did figure it out. The Big 12 figured it out. Um, The Big 12 still to this day is looking down at the Pac-12 laughing at them. And Oklahoma State owes Oklahoma (laughs) nothing. And Mike Gundy continues to reiterate that, and I love it. Yeah, it's great. And I I think that's should be the end of it or it, it will be the end of it in fact because it's the last you know last year or whatever but uh i thought gundy said all the right things and look i just i don't take a lot away from big 12 media days but what i what i am interested in colby and you touched on the big 12 poll and i i really don't have much issue with the poll at all i think the top five five to six is pretty interchangeable i think i probably would have had it exactly like they had it maybe switch oklahoma state with baylor because you know, Baylor lost six of their last nine games last year. I mean, they they fell off the map and lost to Air Force in their bowl game. And they're still going to be relying on Blake Shapin, who had that the half of his life apparently against Oklahoma State in the in the Big Twelve title game two years ago. But what what sticks with me though, Colby, it's this has really been bothering me since Big Twelve Media Days. And look, I think Texas should be the pick this year. Now, a lot of that's got to do with Oklahoma being down, Oklahoma State being down, or else I wouldn't be putting them number one. So that's first. I think Sark knows what he's doing on offense. That's been proven. Uh, but then I, I I look at the preseason team, and, and I see this big picture of Quinn Ewers on it. And now he's the pick to be the quarterback. And this is my problem with everyone riding the Texas train this year. Am I the only one who watched Quinn Ewers play football last year? Am, am I the only one? Because I distinctly remember the front row and second row and all the way up to third and fourth row at Boone Piggins Stadium being under assault because Quinn Ewers couldn't even throw the football onto the field. He was throwing it up in the stands. He had no idea where the ball was going. And you can even go to this route of OU in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, they won 49 nothing, whatever the heck it was. If you watch that game, Quinn Ewers was bad. I mean, he threw, was thrown to wide open guys when he completed passes, but he was thrown into coverage. Oh, you could have had a million interceptions that day. He was bad when they won 49 to nothing. And so what are we basing this? Quinn Ewers is the pick for the quarterback. He's the pick to go win the Big 12. His freshman year, Colby, he completed 58% of his passes. Spencer Sanders, true freshman year, completed 63%. And no one the next year was like, oh, my gosh, Spencer Sanders, number one quarterback. Oh, my gosh, All-American. This is all based off of high school hype. And so if you're one of those out there picking Texas to win the Big 12, that's to scare you a little bit. Because what has Texas been built on for the last 10 years? High school hype. And Colby, I just, I can't. (laughs) It's amazing to me. No one's questioning Quinn Ewers because we watched him play last year and he was horrible for most of it. 
Yeah, I, I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think part of the reason they're not getting as many questions down at Texas is because the rest of the league seems to have regressed so much. Like you said, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have been the pillars of the Big 12 Conference for the last, what, 13 years probably. But both of those programs are a little bit down right now. And Texas, you know, everybody's been waiting for Texas to be on the way back up. And they haven't really been able to make that turn and go back up because OU and OSU have just been a lot better programs. And without OU and OSU hanging over their heads, um, there are certainly concerns with Quinn Ewers. Uh, he's not a surefire rock star, but I think he has a proven, solid offensive head coach. I think Sark knows what he's doing. I think he's going to have a good offensive line. I think he's going to have time to stand in the pocket, make his reads, make his throws. He's got a big arm. He's got the physical talents. You're right. A lot of it's high school highlights. But if you're looking at the Big 12 as a whole, I think in years past, um, other people, and myself included, were more willing to poke all these holes in Texas because you could see so many paths to other teams being better than them and winning the conference. Whereas this year, as many question marks as there are at Texas, I think that there are even more at probably every other Big 12 school. Yeah, and I, I certainly understand that. And I, I, I again, I, I think Texas should be the pick based on everything you just said. It's just, what's been the problem for Texas since Colt McCoy? It's been quarterback. I mean, it's just, oh, it's 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 so good, Colby. It's the gift that keeps on giving. What Do you have the Texas over went over under win total for me. Is that out yet? Do they have those out? It's a little uh, early in the summer for them, maybe. I don't have it in front okay. of me. I actually, and well, if you can find them, go for it. But I just this is just ripe for another by another meltdown from Texas. I mean, like maybe their most epic yet. Because I mean, when was the last time they were picked to win the league? I mean, OU's been the pick for seemingly a decade. So it's just, I just, I'm, I'm sitting over here, like, kind of like. Asking aloud, like, did anyone watch Quinn Ewers play last year? Like, I know he he hurt his hand at one point. I think he hurt his hand in that uh, or hurt his shoulder rather against Alabama and came back to play against Oklahoma State. And people can probably sit there and say, well, that's why he wasn't as accurate. And and again, I I do think Sark has figured out their offense, but they don't have Bijan Robinson, who was most of their offense. Uh, they lost that really stud backup running back. He got drafted pretty high because he was so good too. So I. I don't know. I, I'm just not. I'm just not sold on the Texas hype train, and more than anything, I'm just not sold on Quinn Ewers. And I, I'm just looking forward to that first three interception game because I'm going to be like, this is like Sam Darnold all over again, guys. Like, just dude, just throws a ton of picks. So it's entirely possible that he flops and that Texas flops if they don't at least make it to Arlington this year. I, I'll always give a team a little bit of grace in a one-game conference championship setting because that's random. It's three hours; anything can happen. Um, but if Texas over the course of the season in this new 14-team Big 12 where it's not round-robin, you're not having to play all the same difficult teams that you've been playing every year for the last decade who know you inside and out, you're getting a little bit of a reprieve with the schedule. If, if Texas doesn't at least make it to Arlington, then this is this goes right up there in the pantheon of wasted Texas seasons, just considering where the rest of the conference is at. Yeah, and I, I think along those lines, too, like there's – there's reasons why uh, the conference has been so round robin tops, you know, the top turning over like it was last year. Like Gundy made the great points about TCU. He's like, what were they picked last year? Like seventh? Like, you know, we play non-conference games and it it really makes for a wide open league. 
And I think this year more than any other is, is wide open based on what, what OU is coming into the year and, and OSU. I think that's the other thing, Colby, like OSU is coming in way under the radar this year. And that typically bodes well for them, but, but also it, it can bode poorly like in 2014 when like they just didn't have a lot coming back. There were a lot of question marks. Uh, 2014 sticks out to me. You, you touched on the poll and I, I certainly didn't have a whole lot of disagreement with it, but it's just kind of an unpredictable league based on the structure of it. And that, and that's my concern moving forward. I and mean, I want to hear your thoughts on, on Brett Yormark. I didn't, I didn't follow a lot what Brett Yormark said. You'll have to kind of fill me in, but that's kind of my concern moving forward with this league is just the topsy turny nature of it, the turnover, especially now with the transfer portal, it's going to, it's going to turn over even more. I just wonder if the league will find its footing if a different team wins every year, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. You know, the SEC has Alabama and Georgia sitting at the top every year. The Big Ten has Michigan and Ohio State sitting at the top every year. These are leagues that have identities, right? And and people identify with people nationally, especially identify with that identity. When you're making, when you're filling out your Big 12 poll and you're going like one through eight and it's like, yeah, I think any of those eight teams could win the conference. I mean, it's great for parody. It's great for entertainment value. It's not great for elevating your league to the highest status nationally because nobody sees, okay, this team was great. They emerged from this pack and this was a great football team. They kind of, everybody gets lumped into average and it doesn't help last year when the team that emerged from the parody got beat 65 to seven in the national championship game. You still give them a ton of credit for getting there. I'm, I'm just saying nationally playing devil's advocate. They're going to look at that and say, okay, well the best big 12 team snuck through. They pulled off the miracle in the semis. And then we saw what the, what the big 12's best team looks like against Georgia, even though I don't think that's a fair analysis because Georgia is just so far uh, removed from what other people are doing right now. But uh, the parody of the big 12, I think will be so much fun to watch and hurt the reputation of the conference nationally because the reality is if OU and Texas were winning 11 games every single year, this league would have been viewed very differently for the past decade. That's so true. I mean, just think back to when they were doing that, when, when you had Vince Young in the title game and all those great Stoops teams from the early 2000s, like the big 12 was the best league in the country. Now that included teams like A&M, Nebraska, we all know that, but that, that really does help the perception. And that's, that's a question I had for you. I mean, I, I was listening to the um, my friends over at Sooner Scoop, Eddie Ratto and, and Kerry Murdoch and, and George Stoya and all those guys over there, Josh McQuistion as well. Uh, they were just kind of mentioning how, you know, for OU, their their podium, their breakaway session, you know, there's 20-something cameras. And for Iowa State, there's one. I I That's more than more than even the football product. That's my concern moving forward with the Big 12 because I, I started thinking about what's going to happen when, you know, the Big 12s, like what's going to happen on those Saturday selections from the TV broadcasts? Who gets the primetime game? I just, I worry a little bit about the Big 12 getting kind of snubbed in terms of those primetime windows, in terms of all the TV selections in this process, just due to that little nugget right there about number of tripods. Uh, TV ratings matter, and I just wonder what this league is going to look like. You know, there's been a lot of talk this week about the SEC moving their media days to Dallas to kind of, you know, uh, to welcome OU in Texas and to really kind of take a shot at the Big 12. I, I think there's a nice little kind of rivalry forming there, if you want to call it that. Obviously, the Big 12 have to win some football games against that conference to call it that. 
But I just kind of wonder what it's going to look like in terms of cachet for the Big 12. I know your Mark's doing a lot of innovative things. That's probably, Colby, honestly, that's probably why he's considering moving games to weeknights. For for what I just mentioned, the, the, the worry and fear that it's just going to be the SEC and the Big 10 every Saturday night on ABC. But uh, that that to me is what I thought about a lot when I thought of Big 12 Media Days. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, how many times over the last several years do you tune in Saturday at 7 o'clock? I mean, OU's gotten a lot of primetime games. Texas has gotten a lot of primetime games. And that, in the eyes of people nationally, elevates the conference to the point that Oklahoma State can get their occasional primetime game. And so can Baylor. And so can TCU when those schools are up. But now once OU and Texas leave, it's I really think the Big 12 needs like two schools to consistently be perennial powers in the conference so that people have something, people nationally have something to latch onto and say, okay, we know every year Oklahoma State and TCU is a huge matchup or, or TCU and Baylor or Baylor and Kansas State, whatever the case may be, you need, I think, those schools at the top because if a different school wins the Big 12 every year for the next decade after OU and Texas leave, that's going to be so much fun to watch those games. It's going to be a blast. You're never going to know what's coming. And I think parity is is so much of what makes sports great. That's why I think college football, to me, nationally, big picture, is at the weakest point of my lifetime. I think there's less parity now than there's ever been in college football. But in the Big 12, it's that's not the case. And it's why I still love Big 12 football. It's why I still love being an Oklahoma State fan. The unpredictability and uncertainty of it going into the season but that's not what people nationally like. That's not what people want to see. People want powers that they can put on TV and they know people are going to watch because they identify the Big 12 Conference with these two schools. Those two schools are leaving. And I think if if other schools don't step up and become the big dogs year after year in the Big 12, I do think you're, you're going toward a point where you're going to have more uh, 11 o'clock games, more noon games on FS1. And I do think Thursdays and Fridays are a very real possibility because – uh, people nationally just don't associate the brands of, of Oklahoma State, TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech. Those just don't carry the weight that OU and Texas do, uh, and no amount of on-field success or head-to-head beatdowns in Austin can change that. No, and I, a lot of it doesn't have to do with football. Like school, like for instance, A and M, like they've got people, like fans, like invading SEC media days. Like that level of interest from the football programs in the big 12 just doesn't quite exist. And I think that's, man, it's, there's gonna be a lot of pressure on this conference to win and especially to win when they're matched up with, with the bigger, you know, the bigger conferences like the, you know, the sec and the big 10. So anything else from Brett, your mark stick out to you that he said? Uh, not particularly. I found the weeknight game stuff. Interesting. Um, me personally, I, I wouldn't hate it, but I, I do think it has negative effects on recruiting and potentially even attendance in the down years. So I think there's some negatives, Personally, Oklahoma State plays on Thursday night and, uh, you know, we do the pod Friday morning and I'm done with all my Oklahoma State coverage and I can sit down and stare at my three TVs Saturday for 10 hours. I don't hate it, but um, <laughs> Saturdays are still where college football is meant to be played. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I do like some of his out-of-the-box ideas. Like, I, for instance, this has nothing to do with football, but I noticed they had the, the Big 12 logo out at Rucker Park in New York City. Uh, which doesn't seem like a big deal that they're doing, but like I just it, it made me think back to getting home from school, turn on TBS, and there's a Braves game. Getting home from school, turn on a WGN game. There's there's the Cubs. There's their logo. Like the Braves and the Cubs 
were like in my household that way. So you think about basketball players in New York City, like the Big 12 logo, they're going to they're going to recognize it. So I while some of these ideas seem kind of weird and and out of the box, like it just kind of made me realize, oh, like that actually, you know, th- those type of ideas actually do make a difference because I thought back to all those all those years I got home from school and and turned on the Braves games or the Cubs games. Uh yeah, and the Big 12 has had some success. With New York, Mr. New York, was it Noel? Was that his name from Kansas State? I don't even know what you're talking about. What are you talking about? The kid, Mr. New York was his nickname. Went bananas in the uh, in the oh, tournament. Oh, in the tournament. Uh, I already forgot his name. Wasn't he tiny? The tiny guy? Marquise Noel, maybe? Man, that sounds right. I know somebody's going to tweet us uh, as we try to come up with this dude's name. But, um, yeah, the, if you can get guys from New York, I think it's good to just have uh, the logo in more places. I, I feel much more confident Every time Brett Yormark speaks, I feel confident that the Big 12 is in good hands, which is something I never felt under Bowlesby. Marquise Noel. All right. I was close. He's now with the G League Raptors, I guess. But yeah, New York, New York. You're right. Good call by you. Okay, he was yeah. born he was born on Christmas 1999, right before Y2K. Oh, wow. Look at him. He made it. So he turned one week old the day we all realized we were going to survive. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pistols firing in the meantime has started to rank their top five running backs and wide receivers at Oklahoma State. And look, a lot of these are pretty self-explanatory. You and I don't spend a lot of time on it. Uh, start with running back, the first three. I kind of wanted to get your rankings as well, Colby. First three are obvious. Barry one, Thurman two, Terry Miller three. Uh, four and five is where it gets interesting. Um, let's see here. Who did I have? I, I have I have Kendall Hunter four, which may surprise people i just think his longevity uh his his total career numbers add up that to me kind of gets the edge over a a chuba hubbard who i'd probably put five just because actually are we putting bob finnamore in or no we can't put Uh, bob finnamore in can we i'm not putting bob finnamore in not because i don't think he was a great back just because i just it was so long ago i don't have any context for anything different it's like a different sport i mean it's I mean, he's an amazing OSU legend. I don't mean to disparage his legend, but like when we're ranking, these are modern day football players, you know? So uh, I think Chuba's one season's very kind of, I don't mean to say Barry-esque, but I mean, shoot, 2,000 yards, uh, more than 2,000 yards and 21 touchdowns. That's like, that's as good of one season you can possibly get out of a running back, especially in, two, in 2023. Uh, so I think that's worthy. And he played more than just that one year, but that, I think was worthy of the fifth spot as much as I love, I love Joe Randall. Uh, I, I probably rank Joe Randall higher than most, but just his, his peak, I just didn't feel was as good as those two guys. Yeah. And Joseph Randall, I think had the benefit of being on the greatest offense in school history. He played behind a really good O-line. I, I tried to find reasons to, to let Joseph Randall crack my uh, my top five, you know, the touchdowns. I think he's 10th in yards, fourth in touchdowns in Oklahoma State history. I, I tried to find the reasons. I couldn't do it. Uh, this actually ended up being a pretty boring exercise because my four and five is the same as your four and five. Kendall Hunter was unbelievable, uh, probably underrated in Oklahoma State football history. I would have him at four, and I would have two but five because to do what he did in the modern Big 12 era – behind an offensive line that I don't think anybody thought was great. It was, it was 
by the standards of the last 10 years of Oklahoma State football, it was a fine offensive line. It was an okay offensive line. And for him to go out and lead the nation in rushing to do what he did, uh, he should have won the Doak Walker Award that year. It was given to Jonathan Taylor as a career achievement award for what he did at Wisconsin, even though he did not have a better season than Chuba Hubbard. The Kansas State game that Chuba Hubbard played was on ESPN+. Plus. I think that that hurt him a lot back before that was more of a mainstream thing uh, to do. So, yeah, I would go Hunter at four and Hubbard at five. That's I, I don't think it's a boring exercise because I think that means that we got it right. I think that means that's what it should be. So the receiver is much harder. Oh, gosh. I mean, there's no argument at one, right? We both have Blackman. Uh, one is easy, and then it gets real murky. Yeah, and uh, let's see here. Uh, Kyle Boone has Rashawn Woods at two. I think that probably raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, I don't really have a problem with that. I mean, in fact, I think that's who I'm putting there, too. Because, again, it kind of goes back to what you said about Chuba. For what Rashawn did in a less miles offense, there should be books written about it. Like, the number of pass attempts. Like, you just juxtapose Michael Crabtree's career with Rashawn Woods and how many pass routes Michael Crabtree ran versus Rashawn Woods and how similar their numbers are. I think that gives Rashawn Woods, like, it's like uh, the NBA stat, right, Colby? What was it per per thirty eight or uh, per, per thirty six? Per thirty six, yeah, I got the number wrong, but it extrapolates the numbers with your opportunity. And I think using per thirty six, we'll call it per eighty two in Rashawn's case, his old number. I gotta go, Rashawn. Um, now the question here, Colby, is: Are we judging who we would want in a single game? Who do we just think is the best? player in general but I, I have to factor in your career when I do this that's just the way I've always felt about it and Rashawn's productivity in the area he played in is 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 second to none really yeah I wish that we had like advanced analytics for Rashawn's career at Oklahoma State yards per attempt uh you know catch rate stuff like that I bet his catch rate was unbelievable it's through the roof I I spent a decent amount of time this morning. My my shift started at 5 a.m. The Open's going on across the pond. And a lot of the times, I'm just sitting waiting for content to roll through. And I really sat down and thought about this. I went and looked at the numbers. And I really, two, three, and four, I kind of bounced around with Rashawn, Dez, and James. Because I think two through four, those guys are kind of interchangeable. Uh, I want to have Hartley up there. We've had Hartley on the show. Uh, Hartley's great. Again, that was just... It was a little before my time, and having not seen it with my own two eyes, I don't know that I can put him ahead of those other, other three guys. But I wound up taking the whole career in perspective. I ended up putting Rashawn at two. I actually ended up putting James Washington at three and Des Bryant at four. Uh, I don't think that that's totally fair to Des Bryant because had he been allowed to finish his career at Oklahoma State, if those criminals at the NCAA had not just brought the hammer down uh, for his dinner with Dion, then I think that he he would have significantly elevated his time at Oklahoma State. But as things stand, I ended up with Rashawn at two, James Washington at three, and Des Bryant at four. I think all that's fair. It's aligned with what I just kind of said about Rashawn and numbers. I, I can't put Des lower than three uh, for those of us that were in college who followed Des's recruitment couldn't believe a guy that looked like Des Bryant and had the name Des Bryant who wanted to wear number one was even considering coming to OSU think think back to those times Colby I know you were very young but I was in college this was it this was just a dream this hadn't happened before 
I wish you had never gotten an electric recruit like a Des Bryant. And there were questions about his grades. And I think that's why most people assumed he was even considering Oklahoma State. But the fact he signed there, and then we see the like this is this is like Kyle Porter and I's era. We're in college. Uh we see that he's gonna wear number one. And then you see him in a uniform, and then you watch him play. It's just, it's hard for me to put James Washington over that guy. I mean, just think about his punt return against Houston. That's just a dude being better at football than the other 21 players on the field. It it was just jaw-dropping to watch this guy. High point of football, the best I've ever seen. I mean, I would... I would put him up against Blackman on going up and getting a fade route, and I'd probably pick Dez. And as great as James's numbers are, Dez was more dominant. Dez was better, and I hate saying that about James because he was an amazing player. And he just James Washington kind of looked like a mini version of Blackman, and he was kind of a mini version of Adrian Peterson. He was like a running back playing wide receiver. Um. But man, I, I I have to put Des three and James four. I just do. I have no arguments with anything you just said at all. I think Des is undoubtedly the more talented of the two players. I just looked at what James Washington was able to compile throughout his career at Oklahoma State, and I went resume over raw talent. Uh, I was what was that? Probably an eighth grader freshman in high school whenever Des was in Stillwater. And I remember I, I was in the stadium for that Georgia game when he made the catch over the shoulder down at the goal line. I, I remember the punt return. It's just Des was amazing. And again, I think that uh, because of the unfair treatment from the NCAA, he was never able to get his numbers to a point uh, that matched his talent. So I have no no qualms with anything you're saying. I, I still think I would have him at four behind James because I'm doing I'm doing total career output more so than just raw talent. This guy's the best player on the field. No, and I th- and look, there's no wrong answers here uh, for sure. I don't disagree with that. It was just it was kind of like having our own Bo Jackson out there, just somebody who's just so much better than every other athlete on the field. It was like having our own. You know, Adrian Peterson, Bo Jackson, you know, just a physical freak. He huh? raced the horse, Carson. Sorry, what? He raced the horse. He raced Bullet. It was he, it was he literally he literally beat Bullet in a race. Yeah. Or did he lose to Bullet? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you remember. For the sake of the legend, he beat Bullet. But yeah, like again, I think I think it's easy for us to all forget this now when we've seen all these great players that have come since Des. But back then, early in Gundy's tenure, you know, we had Rashawn, and Rashawn was an amazing college football player. I mean, I put him number two on my list for a reason, but he didn't scare people. Like, Des Bryant was scary. It was like having, again, like Bo Jackson out there, just a freak of an athlete. And then he put on the number one digit for me, which is like my favorite number. If I played football, I'd wear number one. It was just, oh, Des was Des was the man. So, but we we both agree on number five, though, right? It has to be Hartley. And again, I'm sure the olds are screaming at this podcast. We've had Hartley on this podcast. It's not fair to him that you know his highlights look like they're shot in like on a like Sapruder film. But I'm sure if Hartley played in this era, he'd he'd be one or two probably. Just how talented he was. First round draft pick. 
I have no doubt that Hartley would be dominant in any era. The size, the size of his hands. When I when I shook his hand um, that day, I talked to him to get him on the pod. It's just it reminded me of the time I shook Dez's hand whenever I was about fifteen. Um, just very much built different. I think he would succeed in any era. He absolutely gets punished for. Um, and not even punished. It's just he played before our time. We didn't see it with our own two eyes. We watched the highlights. They are in whatever came before standard def. Um, yeah, Hartley was great, but it's hard to have him over the modern guys. Yeah, for sure. What's sad is Dez's highlights still look like they were shot on, you know, Zapruder as well. But that's just how much HDs come along. All right, Colby, let's get to uh, Bullets and BBs. What do you got for me this week? Bullets! How about a little baseball action? Christian Encarnacion Strand had a great year at Oklahoma State a couple of years ago. He's been in the red system. He's been tearing it up in the minors, and he gets up, pinch hit, go ahead, upper deck bomb last night for his first big league home run, 426 feet for Christian Encarnacion Strand. The Cincinnati Reds are so much fun right now. It's a great team for him to be on. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz is Un- unreal i don't know if you saw you might have been uh when he's you a freak when it happened speaking of freaks on, yeah he got on first he stole second he stole third and then he stole home and, and there, oh. there wasn't even a pitch thrown between when he stole third and stole home he stole third catcher throws it back to the pitcher who's not paying attention he's like sure i'll take the last one and scores this is a fun <laughs> team and it's cool that christian Encarnacion uh strand gets to be a part of that he was great at oklahoma state so uh bullet for him for getting his first big league bomb last night I like that. That's really good. Yeah, it's been a long time since the Reds were good. I mean, people my dad's age, they remember the big red machine and how good the Reds were. They haven't been good like in my lifetime. So that's yeah, that's my, cool for Cincinnati. I think I've said this before. My grandpa was great friends with Johnny Bench before my grandpa passed. He actually coached Johnny when he was in, I think, middle school. His, wow. dad, would, his dad would bring him to the park every morning, drop him off, uh, and Johnny would just hang out at the park all day with my grandpa every summer. For like three years and uh he coached him up whenever he was young so uh how am i, I just know. now learning this i don't know I felt, that's I felt amazing like, i felt like we had talked about it before but you know both of us we've done a lot of radio a lot of podcasts and stuff so it's hard to remember where you said what but uh yeah i actually i've never met johnny uh, i've never talked to johnny I, I would love to one of these days though to uh just kind of reminisce about the great lj pal i covered johnny bench they were doing something in binger where he's from Binger, Oklahoma. I think they were unveiling like a statue of him or something along those lines. And I went and covered it for Channel 5. And I was the only station there. So Johnny and I got to like hang out, chit chat. Uh, it, it was amazing. Uh, you know, he's speaking of big, speaking of massive mitts, massive hands. He's got a legendary photo of him holding like six, seven baseballs in one hand. But uh, that, that's a great story. Uh, Johnny Bench, true legend, true Oklahoman as well. Uh, my. Yes. My bullet goes to the Big 12 Deputy Commissioner Tim Weiser, who didn't hold back when talking about Texas's move to the SEC. He says Texas would rather get beat by Alabama than they would Kansas State, which is just talk about dropping the mic as the Deputy Commish. Deputy Commish is feeling himself, Colby. Carson, I saw that quote. I'm so glad you brought it up because I saw it and then I forgot about it until this very moment. That was an unbelievable quote. And <laughs> So accurate for what we've seen over the past decade, right? I mean, Texas is embarrassed. When they lost to Kansas in double overtime, they were embarrassed. They're, con- I mean, they lose to Iowa State. They continually just get their, their brains beat in by Oklahoma State. They are embarrassed that they keep losing to these schools who don't have the brand name on the side of the helmet, who don't exceed in the HL metric. They would so much rather go lose to Alabama and Georgia. 
that his quote is kind of like when I send a really funny tweet, but it, it, it missed just an extra little oomph to it. If he had just said Kansas instead of Kansas State, that quote goes to a whole different level. Because think of how many jokes we made about Texas losing to Kansas in football. I think we're still making them. We still are. I mean, they've beaten them more than once. I mean, Charlie Strong went down to them. They had the overtime game in Austin. It's just, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, because didn't they lose once in Lawrence and then again in Austin a few years later? Yeah, they lost. Charlie Strong went up there and lost like a last second field goal. And then the big fullback from Kansas caught one in overtime. And I was just cackling. It was so good. So good. I wish you had just said Texas would rather get beat by Kansas or by Alabama than they would Kansas. I wish you just left it at Kansas. Oh, that'd been so good. It would have been better. It would have felt like much more of a dig (laughs) instead of just an observation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, my BB, Carson. I'm going to give my BB to air travel, just in general, air travel. Specifically, this last week, American Airlines, I was heading out to Tahoe, so we have plans on Monday. Monday's kind of a free day for us, so we're going to play Clear Creek Tahoe. It is the number one rated private course in all of Nevada, a state that includes Las Vegas and the surrounding area. This is the number one course in the state. I looked it up online. Absolutely beautiful, pure, picturesque, out in the hills, unbelievable golf course. So I've got about a 50-minute layover in Phoenix before I head to Reno, leaving Oklahoma City, and I'm going to have plenty of time for my tea time. I'm in the plane. We're on the tarmac at Oklahoma City. We're, like, fixing to take off. And all of a sudden, they come on the intercom. Um, I'm sorry, folks. It uh, looks like we're going to have to have maintenance take a look at the plane here. We're going to uh, hang out and see if they can come to us. We'll update you shortly. Sure enough, 15 minutes later, we're taxiing back to the gate. We sit on the plane for another half hour. They deplane us. I miss my flight. I miss my connector. They put me on a later flight. So... (sighs) Anyway, so I, I still want to at least see this golf course, right? I, I don't want to go out there and not at least see the property. So uh, I'm landing in 350 at Reno. I get my rental car. I break every traffic law known to man to get to Clear Creek Tahoe. It was like a 53-minute drive from the airport. I think I made it in like 38 minutes. I was absolutely flying uh, <laughs> down whatever uh, highway 50 or whatever it is there in Nevada. I get there in time to play seven holes. Uh, first time playing golf with the guys that I work with. I made three birdies in the seven holes. Uh, so it, I played well, the place was beautiful. It, it ended up working out somewhat. Okay. But man, we're on the runway about to take off and we have to go back in for maintenance. It's just, if it's not one thing, it's another with air travel on my oh. way back on my way back. I had to sprint like a full mile, and I got right to my plane to get home and see my daughter with about three minutes to spare. Had I not made it, uh, I wouldn't have gotten to see my daughter that night, and I would have been furious. But, um, yeah, air travel is very potluck at the moment. It really is. I mean, I got lucky. I I had no issues. But, man, that of all the times, like there, there's times, right, when you can handle it. You know, if you get delayed, it's it's you're not in that big a hurry, and it, it's annoying still, but it's not – as crushing as what you experience. You're just like, this, this one time is all I ask. It always seems to hit at that time. I, I hate that for you. Uh, my BB. Sorry, go ahead. Have you ever played golf at altitude? Never have. No. Oh man. I highly recommend it. 18th hole. There's like a 540 yard par five. Uh, we had a little bit of a helping breeze. I went driver nine iron. It's just altitude is unbelievable. One hole. I had like 190 yards in. I had a seven iron. I thought I, I thought I flagged it. 
way over the back. I'm like 30 <laughs> yards into the rocks. It's just playing at altitude was a ton of fun. Yeah, that sounds like it. That would that would definitely help my game for sure. Uh, my BB is related to air travel. I you know I get on. I've officially reached old man status, Colby. Like I've had this iPad for a while. You know, I get on iTunes. I know how to download a, a movie. And I did that like I always do. And the last few times I've done this, you download it. But now they don't just let you watch it on your like videos folder. You have to go to like the Apple app to watch said download. I downloaded it. And it just says unavailable because apparently I didn't move it somewhere. I don't even know what I'm doing wrong. But my inability to download iTunes movies was a real a real sad olds moment for me, Colby, because I basically just had to, you know, listen to a podcast that already had downloaded instead of watching my movie I wanted to watch. So uh BB to me. I'm I'm officially old and don't know how to work iTunes anymore. Do you, are you unaware of this Apple app thing where you got if you download a movie, you gotta like do something else because it always just says unavailable. I'm I'm uh, totally lost. No, I I'm not entirely sure what you're talking about now i had a, a tv show i was watching on peacock i downloaded a bunch of episodes i hadn't yet started the most recent season of righteous gemstones so i downloaded a bunch of episodes Ooh. those uh so i'm caught up on righteous gemstones now and i just finished a show called ap bio on peacock so that was my my plane viewing well you probably don't have the apple app but you should watch platonic if you're if it's on the apple app so watch that too for all our yeah. listeners out there already watched it oh it's great right yeah, well, I've watched it with the wife. Uh, that one was really good. Have you watched Shrinking on Apple TV? Yeah, I didn't think it was as good as everybody thought. Really? Okay, I love Shrinking. Yeah. I preferred Shrinking to Platonic, I think. It was good. I liked it. I just, I preferred, I just didn't think Harrison Ford was that funny. I thought that Platon or uh, I thought Shrinking by the end, you kind of had a fully formed character. So that was just kind of a slow burn for a while. But that's just my personal opinion. Yeah, different strokes. Uh, Platonic uh, was really good. I think Apple has the best the best content right now. I don't know if you've watched like Ooh. slow horses, bad sisters. There's some great shows. Uh, on I haven't watched those. I'm going to check those out, but, uh, those golf, good. we got the open championship this week. Uh, Ricky Fowler. I thought there was a really good piece that I tweeted out written by the fried egg about his, you know, his career evolution from, you know, young, hip, cool guy with the hair and the necklace and the all orange to kind of uncool dad with the, the unironic mustache, the weird sunglasses and the ugly putter. And uh, he, he's kind of he's built up a likability factor after going to, you know, more than he was ranked worse than 185 in the world. And so he's a huge storyline. Obviously, Victor Hovland's one of the prohibitive favorites coming in this week. So Colby, no shortage of Wyndham Clark trying to be one of the first players to win you know, the U.S. Open and the, and the uh, Open Championship in the same year in, in a long time. No shortage of uh, OSU ties this week. No, not at all. Victor Hovland and Ricky Fowler, uh, both better than 28 to one to win. Ricky's 28. Victor Hovland is 25. Both of those guys, uh, I think are, are live this week. I probably prefer Ricky. I would lean Ricky, but Victor Hovland's been there uh, a bunch lately. He won the Memorial. Ricky won at Rocket Mortgage. So really excited to watch both those guys this weekend. Um, let me ask you this. I give you Rory, Scotty, and Brooks or the field. I assume you're going to take the field just because of numbers, but how long do you have to hesitate? Oh, I'm taking those three. You're taking the, I, I think I would take those three too. I, don't I would definitely some. take those three. What are the odds on that? I wonder. Uh, Good question. I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at Rory and Scotty as the co-favorites at eight to one. Brooks Kepka for some reason is 20 to one. 
I, I can't make any sense of that. I actually uh, put a little bit of my my hard-earned dollars on Brooks Kepka. Yeah, put some of mine on there too. My gosh. I mean, yeah, he's he's sense. finished in the top 10, like four of his six appearances, Brooks. They act like he's terrible in the open. And he started his career in Europe. That makes no sense. Yeah, he's so good. I don't know why he's 20 to 1. But I think I would take those three too. Those three are just, uh, uh, you know. How would you rank them? I would probably rank them. Oh my gosh. I, I went on the 73rd hole earlier this week and I feel like I'm going to put them in a different order because I keep waffling on how I want to rank them. Um, I was going to have Rory at three earlier in the week, but the rain is coming down and the course is softening up. I think it sets up for Rory. I think the only, the only hurdle he has to overcome is mental. I think I would go Rory Brooks and then Scotty at three. Um, Scotty's got seven straight top fives, but there's a reason that none of those have a one in front of them, and it's the putter. I also picked Scotty to win earlier this week on the 73rd hole, so I'm really waffling between those three. <laughs> but I know, I just know it's going to come from that group. Yeah, I, I would go Scotty, Rory, Brooks. And as much as I just talked up Brooks, I think I would put okay, I can't, I can't do that, but you know what? I would have four is Victor. I really, really, really think he is one of the top three to four guys that has a chance to win this. I, I really believe that he's he was already good in the open before he really started to figure out the majors. And now that he's been the best major player of the year, other than, you know, those guys we mentioned, really, and maybe Rom since he won the Masters. But Victor's, I, I would probably rank him four. I really would. Uh, yeah, and I would have no qualms about that. I think he's deserving of being in that spot. I don't think this course sets up well for Cameron Smith. John Rahm just isn't really playing well. You can't trust Xander. You can't trust Cantlay. Hatton, not so much. Fleetwood. Um, yeah, I don't mind hobbling at four. Yep, I, I like that. Who is Maybe your Ricky, pick? You, huh? Maybe Ricky at five? I, I don't hate that. I mean, and this is no issue podcast. We all know that. But he's been one of the four best player statistically this season uh this is not a fluke he's been in all the big boy events and i've always said colby you know kyle porter and i used to do this podcast for so many years i always said the open is ricky's best shot because he's not the longest he's more creative which this tournament always calls for even before distance became as big of a deal as it is now i always said the open was kind of his thing he he He's one of the better wind players from his time in Stillwater. Uh, it's just kind of ironic that I think a California kid, his best chance is, is over the pond in some nasty conditions. But uh, I think this is Ricky's best chance to win since he really did everything he could in the Masters to dethrone Patrick Reed. I, th I still don't know how Patrick Reed's ball sat on the above Rays Creek and didn't go in, but I wouldn't be surprised. I would be more surprised if Ricky missed the cut than won the tournament, if that tells you anything. Yeah, I think I'm right there, too, with his form and, and his confidence that he's regained. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. My actual pick to win this week, it's it's partially the course softening up. Uh, it's partially I just I want it to happen so badly, and I don't mind admitting that. Rory's got to get number five. He has to. It's setting up for him this week. He's on form. It's at a course that he likes. The conditions seem to be setting up for a Rory McIlroy-type tournament, soft fairways. He can keep the driver in the fairways. Um, the winds aren't going to get crazy. I'm not seeing really anything above 20 throughout the week, so I don't think we're going to have a 2010 situation where one wave gets taken out by Mother Nature. It's just I, I am reluctantly going to go with Rory. What's Michael Scott say? I am ready to be hurt again. <laughs> Oh, I would love that. I'd like to see Rory win. But I think for the second straight year, 
he gets his heart broken by a young stud named Victor Hovland. I'm picking Victor to nip Rory by by a shot. So I I think uh, it's not the orange we we're hoping for with with Rick or you know the the historical ramifications of Rory, but I just got a feeling about it that this course this course calls for long straight driving, and I think Victor's as good as that as, as Rory, and I just think. I just think it's his time. I think he's he's been building toward this, and it, it it's so the margins are so small. Like if Victor had made any putts, I think he beats Brooks. His, his putter got ice cold at the wrong time. He made a few clutch ones, but didn't make much else. Uh, as long as Rory didn't get a hot putter, I, I think I think Victor wins. That's my pick. If I'm wrong about Rory, I hope it's Victor or Ricky. If it's Victor or Ricky, then uh, you and I will be celebrating on the next pistols firing pod. If if they're in the final pairing, doesn't Victor have to take a dive for Rick? I mean, doesn't he have to like sacrifice, bend the uh, knee? Considering everybody just always assumed, oh, Ricky will get one. It's not that simple. You don't just get one. They're not. They don't. They're not handing them out. There's only four <laughs> here. Uh, Hovland and Ricky in a playoff would be. Um, it'd be a no lose situation, but it would also guarantee heartbreak either way. So, um, yeah. I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I like a few. Uh, throw me, throw me out a name if for for folks that aren't listening, and we'll get out of here. Throw me a couple names you like for like a pool. I've already submitted mine for our pool. We're in together, so I'm not going to steal any of your picks. But who are some, who are some off the radar guys? Guys should think about throwing in a pool or on DraftKings. You mean to go way off the radar or people that golfers that people have heard of? Uh, a little bit of both. All right, golfers people uh have not heard of. Let's start there. Daniel Hillier. Daniel Hillier is on a heater right now on the DP World Tour. You I haven't that. heard of that, dude. Go look at his results. Go look <laughs> at Daniel Hillier's results. He's playing good golf. Uh, Ewan Ferguson is playing really good golf right now. Another guy that people play soccer. Uh, he might in the, in his free time. I have no idea. I knew very little about him until about four days ago. I have consumed so much open championship content. Uh, my head's going to explode. We've got about 12 hours until this thing starts and I can't possibly fit any more information in my brain. So, uh, those are the guys way down the board, somewhat down the board is Robert McIntyre, uh, who nearly eclipsed Rory McIlroy last week with the great shot into 18 to win his national open. He's got a couple T35s or better at the open. Uh, and his odds are right there kind of floating around the Sam Burns, Adam Scott, Patrick Reed range, a little bit higher up than that. I weirdly think that this could be a good setup for Bryson DeChambeau. I, I think that he has two options. Those pop bunkers that are going to cause so many guys problems out there in the fairway. If Bryson just wants to play safe and hit a four iron 250 yards and leave it just short of those bunkers, he can. If he decides, okay, this is a hole where the wind suits me, whatever, he can take driver and take those bunkers out of play and go over them. So I think the course sets up fairly well for Bryson. Uh, and then Morikawa as well. I think Colin Morikawa could be live this week. You go look at a statistic uh, distance from center of fairway. So you want guys whose misses are narrow. Colin Morikawa was number one on the PGA Tour this year in misses. Uh, pardon me. Distance from center of fairway with OB landmines kind of lurking all over this course. Uh, I think he's live as well if he can get the putter going. I like all those. Um, I think I think Colin's open win was a misnomer because there was no conditions. If there's any conditions at all, he's got no chance. I think he's terrible in the wind. He's one of those dome golfers, but uh, I'm not bullish on him. Some of my guys I, are guys definitely people have heard of. Here's some dark horses I just love this week. With your your mentioning of just you got to be long and straight, and this guy's turned into a somewhat of a 
a major player. Give me Minwoo Lee. What are his odds? Like Min- Minwoo, I just saw him. He is uh, 80-ish, 75, 75 to 1. Ooh, he's creeping up there. I thought you might be able to get him a little higher than that, but I, I think he's he's played over there before. Uh, he's he's so long and electric, and he has a really good short game. His strokes game, short game numbers, and putting are really, really good. That's a guy off the radar. Uh, Tom Kim, I've never liked. He's too short for me in terms of driving, but he really impressed me at the Scottish Open. Uh, I think there's two ways to play this course. You lay back or you you bomb it over the bunkers. I think he's kind of one of those guys who just is is kind of peaking at the right time. I think this course uh, kind of suits him somewhat. And, that, and the accuracy you mentioned, I think he's, he's one of the more accurate drivers because he's not as long. I really like his odds to, to help out a pool team. And um, how about someone who's 10,000 to 1? who's above the age of 50 that I just absolutely love this week. You said above 50? He's above the age of 50. Patty. 10,000 to one. Former Ryder Cup captain, maybe makes the Ryder Cup team, Patty Harrington. I absolutely love him this week. He's murdering the ball off the tee. He's done very well this year in PGA events and the majors for him. Uh, this, this tournament favors the old guys. We see it every single year. Some old guys pop up on the leaderboard. Watch out for Patty Harrington this week. Yeah. I listened to, uh, Kyle Porter on the Friday earlier this week. Did you listen to that episode? Yeah, I did. I love, I love, I think Andy Johnson for me has the best golf takes out there. And so to get my old friend Kyle with him was, was a real treat. And he's really good, but I like Kyle just made the, uh, entire pod Patty Harrington focused. It was like yep. they pre- previewed the Patrick Harrington open and then they sprinkled a little bit of extra in there <laughs> and see I I was already thinking that before I listened to that so I was really all in after that but yeah it was, it was pretty funny but he's he's reinvented himself with the the distance I think that gives him a chance that most old guys don't have but again this tournament's so unpredictable with the weather and, and old guys usually have a shot too so those are some those are some long shots I, I like but I, I think it's I think it's Victor that's who I'm picking to win and uh, I think Rory will be right there. Scotty, of course, will be on the leaderboard. Those, those, those three to four guys have really separated themselves this major season. I expect all of them to be up there. They definitely have. I uh, before I sit down and do nothing but watch golf the next four days, I think I'm going to go hit some balls this afternoon. It's going to be a little toasty though. Yeah, I mean you're you're glutton for punishment. Isn't it still going to be like 100 degrees today? What's the temperature? Like 103 this afternoon, I think. Here's my problem. You you know, you've got the sickness kind of like I do. I want to get out and go to the golf course and do something. I've got a tournament on Saturday. Uh, my babysitter, a.k.a. my mom, went to Europe for two weeks, and then she came back with COVID. So I have not had a babysitter in like three and a half weeks. My oh. mom is free. She's healthy. She feels 100%. She wanted to take the baby today. My work shift just ended like 10 minutes ago for when we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. I'm like, 103 or not, I am going to the golf course. Love it. Uh, I think Friday is supposed to be like 85, high of 85. So maybe play around Friday. Cold front. I've got a, a two-man tourney on Saturday and then another one on, on Monday. So uh, yeah. I'll get my I'll get my my fill. I don't know when I'm getting out there. My golf game's just so rusty. But I'm happy for you, though. I'll, I'll live vicariously through you. Uh, sounds good. Appreciate everyone for listening. As always, enjoy the Open Championship this weekend. Go Pokes!